What an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you without a mask today. I know about you, my heart is already full with the stories of lives transformed through this wonderful ministry. And I've had the privilege to uh, witness this from the very beginning. Uh, our, our first asylum seeker, uh, Vijay, for obvious reasons, his uh, photo's not up here this morning. Vijay was in prison here in Hong Kong. His crime? Overstaying. We received a letter one morning from him to say he was in Victoria Prison, but all the visitors uh, were, were Cantonese speakers. Could someone come and read the Bible to him in English and pray for him? Now, what we could have done was filed that letter in B for bin, or T for too hard, but thank goodness that uh, Pastor Tony Reed and John McPherson went along to Victoria Prison to meet Vijay. And Vijay and his wife Rose and their children became the first members of our asylum seeker community. A few weeks later, you've seen them already in the film. We had a group called the Togo Boys. Um, they weren't in prison. They were actually sleeping rough at the Star Ferry. And um, the vine was in Central then. And one Saturday afternoon, I was in the office. These lads arrived, and all they asked for, could you give us a room to pray in? Wow. So I thought we ought to give them something more than this, and Mark Nam was with me at the time, so we went to McDonald's bought them a Big Mac meal. I think it was the first Big Mac meal they'd ever had. But suddenly, we had an African fellowship. VJ, the Togo boys, I could give you many stories over the years. But sometimes when we look forward, it's good to look back. And I want to say something before I start, without any hesitation. People always say to me, oh, the vine has done so much for asylum seekers and refugees. I want to tell you this today. The refugees and asylum seekers have done so much for the vine. Can I hear amen to that? What we are as a church today, and I know Andrew agrees with this, owe so much to our refugees, our asylum seekers, our Arise community. I want to say that again. What we are as a church today owe so much to our refugees and asylum seeker community. We didn't plan for this ministry. God sent them to us and we simply responded. But today, we are building a bridge to the future. We've called this service, this special service, a kindred faith. 
It couldn't have been better titled or better timed, given the heartbreaking events that we have witnessed in the world these past few weeks. It seems that reaching out to people who look differently to us, who sound differently to us, who think differently to us, appears to have become a whole lot more challenging, but a lot more necessary. As I prayed, as I prayed about the Hong Kong issues, the world issues, and in particular, our refugees and asylum seekers, our Arise ministry, I got the sense that to go from where we are to achieving a kindred faith was tied up in two words. And those words were breaking chains. Breaking chains. That's what I want to talk to you about today. To be honest, we are all trapped in the chains of our culture, our situation, in our finance, our position, our upbringing. Many of our refugees and asylum seekers have come from backgrounds where they were trapped in chains of oppression, poverty, and hopelessness. And as those two words, breaking chains, were mentioned, I got a picture of a biblical character. And that biblical character is Samson. You'll see him on the screen. Samson was indeed in chains. But unlike our refugee community, his problems were of his own making. And yet, by God's grace, he was able to break free. Let's look at his story. It's found in the book of Judges. The theme of the book of Judges is that it was a time in Israel's history when we read, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? As I looked at the news headlines on the way here this morning, I think we live in a world today where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Samson was the best known of all the judges. Samson is also the last book of judges. When he was born, an angel showed up to let his parents know that he was special and should be raised as a Nazarite, a person set apart. Numbers chapter 6 tells us that Nazarites were to avoid getting haircuts, they were to avoid partaking of wine, and rather strangely, come into contact with dead bodies. But Samson could have been the poster boy for the big stupid male stereotype. Nobody could stop him from doing what he wanted to do. And what he wanted to do was rarely based on good sense. For example, he sought out a Philistine by it, right, rather than an Israelite. 
Now, actually, that was okay with God because the Philistines had been oppressing the Israelites for 40 years, and God would use that marriage to strike the first blow against the Philistines through Samson. So we picture him. He's on the way to his engagement party. And a lion attacked him. As you do, right? You're on your way to your engagement party, and a lion attacked him. So what did Samson do? He killed the lion with his bare hands, as you do. It gets even more bizarre. On the return trip, he noticed bees had nested in the lion's carcass. So what he did, he scooped out the honey and ate it. Now, no one had seen him kill the lion. So what he did, he bet his 30 groomsmen a set of cloves apiece and sent them a riddle to solve. They couldn't. So what they did, they threatened his fiancée with death if she didn't coax the answer out of him. After seven days of whining, he cracked. He gave her the answer and told the groomsmen, who told Samson. Samson was furious. He beat up the men and did not return to claim his bride. His father gave her to his groomsmen. And sometime later, when Samson returned, he was not allowed to see her. Now, I told you it was bizarre. What he did then was he took 300 foxes. He tied them in pairs by their tails and used a torch to each pair and turned them loose in the Philistine fields, devouring and destroying their grain, vineyards, and olives. As you can imagine, tension intensified between Samson and the Philistines. Now, he didn't help things by sleeping with their prostitutes, ripping up and carrying off their city gates, and killing sort of a thousand of them at a time with a donkey's jawbone. But the Philistines found a way for revenge when Samson fell in love with a lady called Delilah. The Philistines promised her a large sum if she could find out the source of Samson's strength. So she set about it. And at first he kept giving her red, red herrings. He kept making answers up. And eventually he told her his strength was in his long hair. That night, when he was asleep, she took out the razor, gave him a QB house zero, shaved his head off. And when he awoke, he was helpless. The Philistines blinded him, and he was put in chains. So we have... Samson in chains. But 
But sometime later, the Philistines were celebrating. They were giving credit to their pagan gods. And they brought Samson out to perform for them. What they didn't realize is if you go for a haircut today and you have a number zero, it grows, right? Very quickly. Samson's hair began to grow. So Samson asked to be propped up against the temple where he prayed to God for one last surge of strength. Pushing against the pillars, he literally brought the house down. Now, a number of more recent Christian commentators have viewed Samson as a type of Jesus Christ based on similarities between Samson's story and Jesus in the New Testament. A word of caveat here, we, we shouldn't take this analogy too far, but what we will see is that Samson and Jesus' birth were both foretold by angels who predicted that they would save their people. Samson was born to a barren woman. Jesus was born to a virgin. Samson defeated a lion. Jesus defeated Satan, who is referred to in the epistle of Peter as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Samson's betrayal by Delilah has been compared to Jesus' betrayal by Judas Iscariot. And both were paid in pieces of silver for their respective deeds. Samson was blinded, insulted, and enslaved prior to his death. Jesus was blindfolded, insulted, and treated as a slave prior to his crucifixion. And lastly, we can compare Samson's death among the wicked with Christ being crucified between two thieves. So let's go back to the temple. With the temple filled with Philistine leaders and 3,000 people on the roof, they obviously did not have social distancing, Samson killed more Philistines in this one act than he had done previously. This was to be his final act as Samson asked that he should also die. It could be said that Samson gave his life for his people. I know someone else like that. His name is Jesus. And I know. He broke the power of sin and death in my life some 40 years ago. He is still breaking those entailing sins, those attitudes, my self-centeredness. And he still is. He is not finished with me or you yet. By the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, Samson fulfilled his calling. 
But the story of the deliverer Samson ultimately points to the ultimate chain breaker, Jesus Christ. We sing, don't we? There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. In his dying, Jesus did more than topple over an intimate statue and slay his thousands. In his dying, he destroyed our death. And in rising, he restored our life. Now that is breaking chains. Delivered by the chain breaker from the fearsome reign of death, we are now free to walk in the light of life. But church, and you need to hear this, important as it is, it is not just about being free from our sins. Saying the sinner's prayer, moving from death to life, I, I recommend it. I'll give you an opportunity in a moment to do that. Is the beginning and not the end. Even breaking the sins which as Christians entangle us. And that's very important. And I want to encourage you in this area, is not the end game. You see, chains are broken for us, but what I want to talk to you about today is that chains are broken through us. Can I say that again? Chains are broken for us, so that chains may be broken through us. Look at the New Testament. It's full of stories of the early apostles. After they were empowered by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, breaking chains of sin, sickness, demonization, and poverty. We read. They ate together daily. There was no one in need. And numbers were being added daily. Surely, this is a model for the church today. The vivid illustration that comes to mind is when Peter was arrested. He was put in prison. And the believers were praying and praying and praying and praying for his release. They were praying for chains to be broken. His chains literally fell off so much that they were still praying when Peter knocked at the door. Chains are broken through us. And that's why we as a church are so committed to the refugee and asylum seeker ministry. No one plans to be a refugee. You won't find it in any career book at school. Never be recommended to you by your school careers master. Pastor Roy, I love this man. 
himself a refugee, said to me this, it is not a choice. It is, however, often a matter of life and death. The next story is very personal to me. And you'll see from a picture I put up on the screen of a young man called Saidi. Saidi used to call me dad. In many ways, he treated me like a dad, and he was a son to me. But the story of Saidi began one day when the vine was still in Central. He arrived at my office with a briefcase under his hand. His English wasn't brilliant in those days. It was, uh, you know, it was sort of like a, French was his first language. But we managed to communicate. He told me that he'd been a, an advisor to the president or the king. And in that briefcase were secrets, which if he ever went back to Congo, would mean a death sentence for him. He would have been executed on the spot. So I said to him, can I pray for you? And this next bit is going to test some of your theology. As I prayed for him, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Visibly. He started to pray in tongues. It was only then I discovered he was a Muslim. So the next thing I did was to lead him to Christ. I had the privilege a few weeks later of baptizing him. Saidi became the leader of our African fellowship. And his English was as good as yours and mine. But he's in Hong Kong. What can he do? Can't work, like the rest of the community. Couldn't even go to the library and have it, get out a library book. News came through that his wife had left him, run off with another man, divorced him, got married again. Said had a daughter. Through the people of this church, praise God, we were able to see that daughter through education. Then he started to get sick. He had a failing kidney. Now having a failing kidney is a bad thing anyway, but when you're a refugee in Hong Kong, we had to get him on dialysis. The government here did not pay for that treatment refugees, so you guys did that collectively, kept him on dialysis. He got worse. He needed a kidney transplant. He wasn't even allowed to put his name on the waiting list. This is happening in our city, guys. He wasn't even a name. And we couldn't like send him overseas or, or get a 
Suddenly he got a kidney from overseas. He was trapped. Eventually it just became too much for him. The treatment and everything he went through. And sadly, he passed away. I say sadly he passed away. Because that day, actually his chains were broken. His body was whole when he went to meet with his heavenly father. It's a sad story. It's shocking. But sadly not isolated. Today it's estimated there are around 25 million refugees around the world. That's why we need a World Refugee Day. This is the 20th anniversary, but actually this has been going on for thousands of years. I was just discussing this over lunch with Pastor Tony. Uh, many of you will know that Pastor Tony and I used to work together, so we'd see each other every day. We don't see each other so often now, so our lunches are long lunches. We catch up. And I want to honor Pastor Tony for the last 20 years, the work he's done for justice in this city. And we were talking about World Refugee Day. And he was remarking that God is concerned about suffering. Throughout Scripture, especially in Old Testament times, God realizes that humanity needs a redeemer. And he is prepared to do something about it. God sees the devastating effect of poverty and oppression. How it ties their hands. How it captures them. How it binds their ability to see God. How it restricts their choice to worship Him and prevents them from receiving God's blessing. God's purpose was to redeem Israel, to bring them back to him, to establish them as his people, to give them a new land, to develop a new relationship through worship, to birth a new nation, his people. But in order to do that, he had to first get them out of poverty before they could receive his redemption. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to be our redeemer, our chain breaker. What does he do in 2020? He sends us, the church. I want to repeat what I said earlier. Chains are broken for us so that chains can be broken through us. Chains of injustice, chains of poverty, chains of lack of freedom. We cannot turn a blind eye. We have to all do something. And that's my message today for all of us, for everyone online. Do something.
Eamon, who runs uh, Branches of Hope, was saying that uh, our approach to supporting uh, refugees through our RISE community is holistic in multiple ways. Through immediate relief, through education and empowerment, equipping with opportunities, and especially through learning the truth with a community that can support each other, a kindred faith, so that their chains may be broken. My friends, I want to challenge you. You can do this. You say, how? Well, one thing we can all do is we can all offer our prayers. Look, I'd rather just say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll pray about it. What I want you to do when you go home is get to your calendar and actually set aside a time each week when you put in there, do a repeat. Pray for refugees and asylum seeking. Pray for Horizon. You know, one prayer is powerful. 2,000 prayers, even more powerful. This is something we can all do. Secondly, we can offer our time. There are many opportunities to volunteer in this ministry. We'd love to hear from you. There's a stand outside which Pastor Stephen is manning. Go there. Put your name down. There will be a job for you to do. You can be part of the solution here. All we can do, offer our resources. Offer what we have to God. So what I want to do is two things. Firstly, I want to pray for us. And secondly, I want to address a practical opportunity that we can take up right here, right now. Maybe you just close your eyes as the band comes back. I realize that uh, as I'm talking here this morning, as people are listening at home, there may be people here who've never come into a relationship with Jesus. Your chains are your old life. Maybe you just don't want to leave your old life. Or you've come to church this morning, or you've come online, maybe a friend has encouraged you. I want to give you an opportunity right here and right now to make the most important decision of your life. To give your life to Jesus. Just why every eye is closed. I'm going to pray a prayer. We can all pray this together. And if you're a Christian, pray for the people around you. Pray for the people at home. There may be just someone who's just switched on on Facebook now. Just for this moment. This is their time in their life. Pray after me. Father God, you can pray with me. Father God, I come to you now and I give my life to you. 
Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm in need of forgiveness. There are chains which are holding me back. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. You died for my sins. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. And help me, Lord, to live a life that pleases you and a life that deep down I've always wanted to live. Lord, thank you for breaking chains in me. Lord, I ask now that you break chains through me. In Jesus' name. And just keep your eyes closed for a moment. Is anyone here who prayed that prayer for the first time, can you just raise your hand? Because we'd love to pray for you separately afterwards. If that's you, don't go today without seeing someone and telling them. Just sing, there is power in the name of Jesus. our chains, that you would break the power of sin in our lives, that you would set us free from the entangling sin that grips us. Lord, that you would use me to break chains in others, the poor, the needy, the refugee. Lord, break the chains of injustice. Break the chains of poverty. Break the chains of the lack of freedom. In Jesus' name. And the whole church said, Amen. I want to give you an opportunity now. We've called it $10,000 reasons. It will become obvious in a moment. And I want to ask you a question. What was your first thought when the government announced that all Hong Kong permanent residents will be given $10,000 to compensate for the hardship caused by COVID-19? If you were like me, probably, oh, a weekend in Phuket. Or maybe the latest smartphone. Mine, my, mine's three years old, you know? But what if I told you 
that it could provide a square meal for an asylum seeker and his family of four every day for two to three months. The trip to Phuket, even if you could fly, doesn't seem so attractive after all. What should be our response as a Christian? What are the biblical guidelines I should consider? Now, I must preface this section with two comments, important. I'm speaking now on behalf of the Vine Church and Andrew and his team. And we as a church have committed to throw ourselves 100% behind Branches of Hope in this initiative. If you like, it's our demonstration of kindred faith. But secondly, I realize there are a number of us here who are not Hong Kong permanent residents. I don't want to be insensitive. And my only message to this very important group, both here and at home, is just do what you can. But for the rest of us, it depends how you regard the $10,000. Is it an entitlement? Is it a compensation? Is it an attempt from the government to get us onside? I like to look at it as a blessing. I haven't earned it, I haven't deserved it, but it's mine. It's mine to do with what I want to do with it. And the Bible says a lot about blessing. Starting with the Abrahamic code in, uh, in Genesis 12, which basically says simple, I will bless you, you bless others. When Jesus sent out the 12 disciples in Matthew 10, what did he exhort them? Freely you have received, freely give. Church, this is a major opportunity for us to bless others. But how do we do it? I believe we fall into one of at least four categories. Number one, we are in desperate need ourselves. You might have lost your job or some other financial crisis. I need to tell you, this is the heart of the church for you. Receive the blessing and be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, In all things give thanks, for it is the will of God. If you need the money, it's yours. The second one, is we're really in need of some kind of support. Things may be tight at the moment. I would just like you to consider putting aside a proportion, maybe a tithe, a 10%, and giving it to Branches of Hope or another mission that supports the needy. 1 Corinthians 16 says, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So some people might want to tithe that money. 
The third group, and many of us would be in this group, you don't really need the money. The weekend in Phuket can wait. Consider donating the $10,000 that you don't have to those who badly need it. Proverbs 11.25 promises, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. And lastly, you're in a position to overbless. And I'm going to ask you to pray about the amount the Lord would have you contribute. Maybe when you're writing the check out for $10,000, the Lord will help you put an extra naught. <laughs> I believe there are at least 10 people who would do this over the course of today. That God is calling you to support this ministry. This is good bang for your bucks. It really is. It's a good investment. 2 Corinthians 9, Now to he who supplies seed to the farmer and bread to eat will also supply you with the seed and multiply it and enlarge the harvest that results from your righteousness. In every way, you will grow richer and become even more generous. And this will cause others to give thanks to God because of you. put that way, we can't fail not to do it right. We collectively have the opportunity to break chains. Now take this opportunity, whether it's using the government blessing for your own needs, and we bless you with that. Whether it's tithing it, whether it's passing it on, paying it forward, or give in a larger amount. I want to dare you. I want to dare you to be generous. Each of you is given a coaster today on the way in. This is for you to take with you. There's a QR code on this. There's a QR code on the screen. I want to take time now for each one of us to respond in our own way. Roy told us about the blue envelope. We've now got an orange envelope. If you want to put check or cash or your credit card number in this. If you go to the QR code, it's got some really inform good information about what your donation will actually buy in practical terms. So let's do it now. i tell you why. If you say to yourself, I'll, I'll, I'll do it when I get home, you won't get round to it because there'll be other things going on. Take the opportunity now. If you need a pen, put, a, put, put your hand up. We still have pens these days, don't we? Yeah, yeah, pens, yeah. Scan the QR code, respond. Respond in whatever way you can. Pray, volunteer, or donate from your resources. I believe that what God's gonna do here today will have eternal significance, eternal value. What we saw with those lads that actually got to Canada because of what happened to here in Hong Kong. I want, to see, I want to see every year more videos of hippos, you know, of, sorry, it sounds like I'm going to the zoo, sorry, of, of Joes and hippos. People like Mohammed, 
You can make a difference. I realize we're not all in the same position. Whatever you can do, do something. But please, do something. Do something today. This is an important day for us as a church, for our refugee and asylum community, our Arise community. This is an important day for the kingdom of God. Would you all stand? And if you're still writing and still, still writing your checkout, don't forget the extra note at the end. Uh, and uh, please carry on doing it. But let's stand so we can just sing this again as we get ready to go out. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain.